Hello, this is Haley Nauman, and you're listening to the Maybe Baby Podcast. Party Rock is in the house tonight. Everybody just have a good time. And we gonna make you lose your mind. Everybody just have a good time. Party Rock is in the house tonight. <laughs> Thank you so much to all of you for that genuinely heartwarming rendition of party rock anthem by indie darling lmfao <laughs> the song choice is relevant to the conversation today as red foo from lmfao is the son of barry gordy jr barry gordy jr who started motown records <laughs> that's right folks we're talking about nepotism my newsletter that went out on Sunday was number 33, and it was called Main Character Syndrome. But today, I'm actually not talking about that at all. I'm talking about something that I had in my recommendations, which is the essay published in The Cut last week by Cassie David, Larry David's daughter. It was about whether, well, I won't get into that because we get into it a lot in the podcast, but let's just say her essay caused a little bit of a stir on Twitter. And so we're going to be talking about that, and we're going to be talking more broadly about nepotism in Hollywood and in America, and maybe even the world more broadly. So obviously, I did bring in my resident pop culture experts, Avi Bonnergie and Harling Ross. They're back. Only fitting, seeing as our Emily in Paris episode was kind of circling the topic of nepotism. So, you know, got to bring the gang back to delve deeper. And if you didn't get a chance to read the essay, I've linked it along with a bunch of other things in the email that I sent with this podcast. So um, make sure to check that out and maybe get a little bit of context for this conversation. Okay, let's get into it. Now I'm recording. Should we do do some vocal warm-ups together? (laughs) Hi, Harling. Me, 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 me. Hello. It's so nice to see your face. You too. You guys are, for the record, for the podcast record... Avi and Haley are wearing matching beanies. They're coordinated. <laughs> They're not quite matching. Well, actually, do you see what, what happened here? I thought that was intentional. <laughs> Wait, really? Because this is... So Avi um, is wearing one of my Uniqlo beanies that used to just be navy blue. Oh. And then I left it on a radiator all night. And then in the morning, it looked like it had been tie-dyed. Yeah, it looks like it has been bleached or something. Wait, turn to me, Avi. Wow. You see it, all that? It's kind of cool, though. I honestly thought it was intentional. I know. Like, I'm not that mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, we're wearing beanies because our heater is broken right now, so we're absolutely freezing. <laughs> I'm just looking at you. <laughs> what's the vibe? Like, what's a Sunday morning vibe? Because it's weird to be recording in the morning, on the morning time. I know. Or to, in the morning. <laughs> to be honest, I woke up. Thank God I set an alarm. Because I woke up at 9.30, so, oh which is when my alarm went off. <laughs> Whoa. That's my Sunday morning vibe today. <laughs> Late night? Not even. Just needed some sleep, I guess. I don't know. I haven't been sleeping well the, the, this past week, so it was, a, it was a catch-up night. Do you think that I jinxed you by telling you that quitting social media made me sleep <laughs> 10 hours a night? <laughs> it's definitely been getting to me, <laughs> that knowledge. You were like, should I do it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I'm definitely going to quit for a little bit in the new year, even though my, maybe that's a terrible time to quit, but... No, that's, maybe that's the best time. It's just in my head because it's, you know, st- art, stupid and arbitrary 
January 1st just seems like a a fun time to try it. <laughs> well, you know, the fresh start fallacy. I always wanted to write about that. I should write that down. You should write about that for the NL. I'm moving all of my social media back to Zanga. Wait, what is Zanga? I forget about Zanga. Zanga. <laughs> is that like an old blogging platform? Yeah, it's an I old totally, blogging I platform. I completely forgot that existed. I, I, if it's ringing a bell. Yeah. Um, I'm going to like a paleo social media um, in 2021. It's going to be all just like uh, <laughs> static <laughs> HTML blogs. It's so just, I'm like seeing friends and be like, oh, did you see this? You probably already saw this on my Zanga, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got an email from this company that makes light phones. Uh-huh. Wait, you heard of those? Yeah, yeah, we have one. Wait, you wait, one. are you? Yeah, I have one. Should I get one? No. You know no. what? I was like, I really thought. Okay, so a light phone is. Oh my god, our light above us is flickering like a horror movie. Also, why is the L backwards? Because it looks like a jite phone. That's true. There's a, the L. Like, You're right. Brand, You're right. Branding is kind of confusing, but yeah. So it's like a it's a really simple phone. It's not a flip phone, which I think is kind of annoying. But yeah, missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah missed opportunity. But it, it's like you can only do three things on it. You can like change the settings. You can call somebody, or you can text. You're right. You can text. You can just call. And yeah, text. I think I think it's like a very um, two thousand. Let's say seven. Vibe. Vibe. Is it really annoying to text on? Do you have to press play oh. multiple times? Uh, yeah. We didn't get that it, far. No, I think it is. Yeah, exactly like that. It's okay. hard to text, so you can only do short ones, and you can't... It's like a black and white screen. Or like green and black, so you can't really... It's, it's not, like a very not yeah. stimulating experience. Is it, T, is it T9? I think so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, honestly, respect. Like, having to press the button, like, thousands of times to type one sentence. I know. Yeah, we used to do that. God. Honestly, oh my god, we were yeah. such little speed demons, too. You, you used to have to, like, earn a text message. <laughs> I used to only get, like, I think it was, like, 30 texts a month. Oh, yeah. Oh, Maybe less. No, I think it was 100. It was 100, because I remember I could do, like, three a day. Mm-hmm. And I That's would, like, so get to choose them so wisely. Truly, this is actually, we should yeah. bring this back. Mm-hmm, I agree. Zanga. <laughs> Especially you, someone always Zanga. constantly texting. He's, like, a big, big texter. Really? He needs to get a limit. Social. No, that's, that's a, I like when guys are big texters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that I guess it feels like a very loaded, backhanded no, compliment. No, 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 no. <laughs> I love it when guys are big texters. I just, well, okay, this is definitely a stereotype. The stereotype <laughs> being guys are terrible at texting and mm. don't, and therefore don't do it. And that's kind of, I mean, if you're like dating someone or like trying to flirt with them over text, it's really difficult to do that when. The opposite yeah. party is really bad at it or just not into it. Harling, you should write a story about the difference between men and women for the cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The perfect segue. The segue. <laughs> um, okay, so I brought you both here today. We've gathered here today uh-huh. to discuss nepotism. But we, I want us to go back a little bit and talk first about the piece that Harley and I were texting about earlier this week. By Cassie David in The Cut, mm-hmm. New York Magazine. It was called Too Full to Fuck. Uh-huh. You can't always make room for a dick, especially if you've eaten dessert. Right. That's head the, and that's deck. The, yeah, that's the head and deck. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, Mom and Dad, you can decide whether you want to listen to this episode. <laughs> we will be discussing sexual matters yeah. <laughs> and themes. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so wait, actually. 
Oh, wait, we forgot to do a really important thing before we dive in. Uh-oh. I need a Grey's Anatomy update. Oh, right. Oh, right. <laughs> Can this become a segment? <laughs> yeah, I feel like we should go enter, put some music on. We'll fix this in the post. Yeah. What's going on with Grey's Anatomy by Harling Ross? Yeah, we'll have a cover of a of a pop song from the '80s, sung by a child in a, like an acoustic version. Harling gets mad and glad about Grey's Anatomy. Uh, Wait, no. Obviously, we just need to do a cover of the Grey's. Oh yeah. Oh god. Which is what Harling? I done. Oh I gosh, it's, it's really hard to hum. It's like acoustic, you know. All right, okay. we'll, we'll check. Yeah, we'll you'll, check. you'll find it. Um, so what's, so you're mad. Wait, so we were texting earlier because we, wait, Avi, how did you see this about McDreamy? I, I saw it on uh, Twitter. Okay, he saw on Twitter that, no, or this is a little bit of a spoiler for anyone who's still watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Don't worry, he's still dead. <laughs> okay, that McDreamy was back. Mm-hmm. And... Avi obviously texted our group chat and was like, Harling, huge <laughs> news, how are you feeling? <laughs> so just as background for the dear listeners of Maybe Baby, I have watched Grey's Anatomy since I was like 15 years old, religiously. Um, <laughs> it's one of the few constants in my life. Um, and it is now in season 17, which just debuted last week with a two-hour premiere episode. Um, <laughs> so just a full movie, <laughs> basically a full movie. Um, but this season definitely been off to a, a bit of a slow start. If I have to, I have to say. Okay. Um, oh wow, a critique. Yeah, <laughs> the McDreamy thing. I know that it was meant to like get fans like me going. Um, mm-hmm. So I acknowledge and appreciate that. But <sighs> bringing back dead people for these dream sequence scenes. Mm-hmm. Is like a hallmark of of Grey's Anatomy and other shows like that, and I it just to me very unsatisfying. Bring you think back, it's cheap? Yes, I'm like they're dead. <laughs> You're watching Grey's Anatomy though. I think <laughs> the whole show is so cheap. Like, <laughs> you know who they could bring back, and I would applaud it. Christina Yang, Sandra O, oh. but she's too oh. cool for Grey's Anatomy now, which is rightfully so because she was always the best actress. Um, so yeah, anyways, a bit disappointed by this big reveal. I thought it was going to be something a little juicier when I heard there was a big twist at the end. Oh, well, I'm so sorry that Grace has been disappointing you, Harley. That's Thank really you. crushing to, for me to hear. Who is Jessica Capshaw? She plays the character Arizona. Okay. But she got written off the show. Interesting. <laughs> she came up in my, in my research on nepotism. Apparently she has a famous... I think her stepdad is um, Steven Spielberg. Oh, wow. <laughs> Love a famous stepdad. I can't wait for you to give us a rundown of some nepotism examples. Oh, he's so ready. He's, I actually limited his research to one hour so that he couldn't go too crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I got too excited last time and then... Um, well, you, just have, you already have so much in your head that I don't think you need that much extra. I received feedback for speaking over the two uh, women speaking. Oh, yeah, not from me, a commenter, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wait, was it someone who emailed me? Yeah. Yeah, he saw it, too. He just, like, you don't even really read my screen very often, but I just happened to open it right as he looked, and it was, like, feedback for Avi, and I was like, no. She's like, what's up with guys just constantly feeling like they can talk over women? No, no. I had to stop and ponder and 
you know, was I elevating your voices? No, I wasn't. <laughs> was yeah, moment, you had a little bit of a... It was a moment of personal growth. I, <laughs> I just want to say that it's really hard to do a three-person podcast without mm-hmm. talking over each other. Well, there's a slight delay, too. Yeah. So we can't fully, like, I feel like one thing I'm noticing in when I'm editing these podcasts is how often me and the other person interrupt each other because of the delay in in Zoom or we're in Google Video or whatever, but um, Google Meet. But I can usually fix it if it's just two mics. I'll just, like, basically, like, move our audio a tiny bit so we're not overlapping each other. But when there's three of us, um, it's harder to do that. Yeah. I can't separate it as easily. I mean, it's also just impo- like every single time I chat with, you know, everyone, all of my friends that I haven't seen in eight months, it's like we're all just talking over each other. It's like who has got the worst news that they read about COVID? Yeah, we're just too <laughs> excited, basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, okay, well, anyway, so let's let's dive in because the reason I, I wanted to talk to you both is because, Harlan, you texted me earlier this week. And you said, have you been seeing the Kazi David discourse on Twitter? And I had to tell you that I had not because I'm off Twitter, as everyone who's listened to this podcast knows by now, because <laughs> I literally can't stop talking about it, mm-hmm. um, even though it's been two weeks. It's one of the withdrawal symptoms of social media. Is you have to talk mm-hmm. about it? You have to it. talk about it constantly. <laughs> it also yeah, doesn't count it. unless you talk about it. It doesn't yeah, count as truly being off. <laughs> Wait, but I really didn't want to do that. Well, it's do you a thi- feel like I'm talking about it's it? It's your right. I'm just, I'm just clowning. But it is also like you would be posting about this significant change in your life if you were still on social media. <laughs> so you just have to do the original version of posting, which is just saying stuff. But you know what I didn't do is announce on social media that I was going to be taking a break. Yeah. Which I'm very against. Uh huh. Yeah, like announcing on social media that you're taking a break on social media. Like if you're taking a break, just go. <laughs> yeah, nobody needs to know. It is the thing to do, though. I was thinking of, uh, is this really lame to do? I was thinking of putting in my bio, I'm off, I'm off Instagram right now. So if you need to reach me, don't DM me. As like a serious, even though you're not off Instagram? No, when I do quit Instagram <laughs> in January. <laughs> yeah, just leave your Zanga. <laughs> I'll leave my, yeah, my Zanga like, username. Leave it in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Catch me on Zanga where I'm sharing my real thoughts. <laughs> Um, I didn't, I actually think that's a pretty good idea. I don't think that that many people DM me, well, for like business reasons, because mm-hmm. my, my work is not as, I did get asked to give a TEDx talk though yesterday. No way. <laughs> yeah. In Glasgow. Oh my God. <laughs> UK. That's cool. I don't think I'm going to do it. On anything you want? I think they said I could do anything. The like theme is, what's the theme? What was it? Um, distortion. Distortion, yeah. And they thought of me because of my Emily Ratajkowski. Uh, That's a really critique. cool theme too. I think. Imagine if I gave it. a TEDx talk about Emily Ratajkowski. <laughs> do you think she'd be happy about that? <laughs> she'd be thrilled. Um, okay. Well, anyway, so you texted me and you were like, "Are you yeah. seeing this?" And you were kind of enjoying the discourse, right? It was. Yeah. It was. I was getting a little bit we of. Should... Well, okay. You go first. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, let's relay quickly for people who don't know. Cassie Dave is writing a book called No One Asked for This, a very self-conscious title. And the cut excerpted one of her essays from the book because it's a collection. And it's called, oh, wait, I already said this title, Too Full to Fuck. Um, And you texted me because a lot of people were 
tweeting about this article and it was drawing accusations of like nepotism because um, it was the the people were saying that this the essay was really poorly written and really just bad and basically and not funny and like I think you said cringe yeah and she's not particularly credentialed right yeah so you texted me asking me my thoughts and I had not even heard about this and I was like thank you for keeping me abreast Harling <laughs> and so I immediately read the piece and then I was like texting you about how I thought it was really bad right? yes. And then I said that it, like, I was just kind of entertained by the gossip around it. And you, like, you, I think I called it harmless gossip. And you correctly were like, well, it's not exactly harmless because what if you were Kazi David reading this discourse on Twitter? And, like, that's obviously harmful to her, which is true. Like, if I were her and I were reading it, I would be so devastated. Um, but on the other hand, I, like, I don't know if this is something that she was just prepared for going into it mentally. That doesn't make it sting less, but she does, t- like, sort of acknowledge the nepotistic, is that a word, nature of her being Larry David's daughter and getting a book deal in a lot of She many- does? She does. Um, so That's interesting. Yeah. Um, which I kind of respect. Like, if it yeah, yeah. exists, call it out. <laughs> um, instead of Informed pretending that, like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I had the same feeling, Harles, where I was like, well, I think what you called it was harmless media snark. Yeah. And I think the reason I thought of that is because that is, it really reminded me of how people were tweeting about Man Repeller when it shut down. Yeah. And there was a lot of, like, I think what people would consider harmless media snark that to me I felt was, like, heartbreaking. For sure. You know, sort of, like, cheering the downfall and stuff like that. And in a way where it wasn't necessarily, like, critique on any level as much as just snarky right and I thought so I was thinking when you first told me there was snark about Cassie David's piece I felt almost like before I even read the piece I was a little like defensive just like feeling bad like imagining I immediately imagine how she might be feeling about that um I mean only because we just experienced it right like once you experience something it makes you more empathetic yeah but then I read it <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, like, I still think, I think this is really complicated, but when I read it, I thought, oh, wow, like, this is really lacking in skill. Like, I think it is the, so I think, like, my feeling on the piece, aside from me not thinking it's very skillfully written, she, I just don't think she's a writer. I don't even know if she would say, like, I'm a great writer. Maybe, or, you know, I would guess this is just sort she's of... She's young. It's yeah. like maybe she just hasn't had time to cook yet, but like because of who she is, it's her stuff has been... Would, the platform has been elevated. Yeah, I guess I would just say I feel like this is more a work of like comedy than like writing as art. Like I don't think that... She, I think she probably thinks of herself more as like a comedian mm-hmm. or a comedy writer than like a writer. Yeah. Like I think it's more a vehicle for her to like explain jokes than it is to be like... A written work. Does that make sense? You don't differentiate between the two? I mean... Obviously, you, I'm very confused. <laughs> yeah, you're making it sound like those are distinct categories. I don't think they're distinct in, in a lot of people's minds, but I'm making a distinction because I think, like, there's writing that... Hmm. Like, I don't think that she's a writer-writer. 
you know, and I don't think she would claim to be. Right. I think the yeah, the the punchlines. What you're saying, the punchlines are the point, not the actual prose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then I guess so. Aside from that, like I just kind of disagreed with the premise. <laughs> yeah. Can we break down why? Let's talk about the premise. We why do we think? Down. Well, why do we? Yeah. Start with the premise, and then I kind of want to get into like what is bad about the piece. Yeah. So, the premise is that women are embarrassed to share when they're too full to have sex. Well, first of all, that women are too some often too full to have sex and that they're embarrassed to share that so they come up with other excuses. And because it's embarrassing that when you've eaten too much food, a dick cannot also fit inside of you. There's not <laughs> enough room. This is the premise. Yeah, th- there's like a metaphor that doesn't feel like a metaphor sometimes when she's writing about it about like physically being too full of food to to be penetrated. <laughs> I can't even listen to the concept without laughing. <laughs> hey, so maybe it worked. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not the kind of laugh that Cassie was hoping to elicit, I don't think. Well, so I personally think that, like, being too, like, full and lethargic to have sex is, like, totally a thing that, like, a lot of people and couples joke about like I just don't think it's like this big secret first of all I don't think it has anything to do with a dick not fitting in I think it has to do with being lethargic Mm -hmm. right yeah I think she was speaking in metaphor but it doesn't really it's like is it that you feel too like I don't think the metaphor works it's not that you feel like it can't fit it's yeah it's like there's a physical impediment it's just like it feels bad and it feels (laughs) you're tired right yeah or like maybe the metaphor would be like your body's like literally too heavy to be like lifted yeah. <laughs> like Even though that's not, of course, true. She was like, making it sound like there was a, a literal space constraint. Right, that's what I'm saying. That, yeah. Like, her stomach is pushing up against, like... Yeah, which, like you said, it could just be sort of, like, um, a tool to, like, explain her point, mm-hmm. a metaphor. But I just don't even agree with the premise. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a quick clip that I pulled. Yeah, please do. Okay. I suspect there are women everywhere who don't want to have sex with their significant others for the sole reason of being full. However, no one is comfortable with using the excuse of being full. We're all perfectly fine using our periods as excuses, but when it comes to being full, we find other justifications, perhaps because our instinct when it comes to rejecting men is to blame something we have no control over whatsoever, like sexual orientation or religion. It'd be cool if there was some involuntary signal like our eyes turn light blue and we're uninterested. Anything to avoid hurting a person and the scene that invariably follows. The, uh, this whole piece is just, like, really uncomfortable. There's lots of, like, psychology. Yeah, because I think that, like, what, this, I think she's ashamed of having overeaten, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it starts in the beginning where she's, like, she just sort of, like, casually nods to the fact that she's, like, I hated eating and now I can't stop thinking about food. There's just, like, she just casually she tosses a huff. <laughs> yeah, like... Uh, unhealthy um, ideas of food. Which, you know, like, relatable, but she just kind of throws that in there and then she's like, which, you know, is why I, one of the things that terrorizes me psychologically is having to say that I just don't want to have sex because I scarf down four slices of pizza. Yeah, there's a pathology. I actually saw some comments about this that were like, it sounds like you have, like, some issues with food that you need to work out. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, uh, there's like, like, I'm all about dark humor and obviously, um, you know, Larry David has uh, <laughs> made almost a billion dollars off of uh, talking about stuff like the sort of 
the really tough stuff to talk about are like the so the the frictions that happen in social situations. Mm-hmm. But this one just mostly made me feel like kind of sad for what was implied between the lines, which is probably not what you want to do in a humor piece. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, because it wasn't intentionally dark humor. <laughs> I think it was meant to be light. Even though it was dark. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that, like, there was also the the women do this, men do this framework, but to me felt a little outdated. Yes, and she right? she leads the piece with that binary. Like, that's, I think it's in the opening sentence where that's how she sets up the whole piece, and that just immediately kind of discredits it. <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? Let me read the opening line. For straight couples, there is one key difference between sex for the male and for the female. A woman gets a penis inserted to her while a man gets to insert his penis into something else. That's all nice and good. Sex is pleasurable for both genders. From what I've discovered, only one gender has to save room in her body if a penis is to go into it. Meaning that sometimes, if you've eaten a hearty meal, there isn't enough room for a penis. It's not a metaphor. She's like, really believes this. At what point do we bring up Ariana Grande and 34 plus 35? (laughs) (laughs) This is a response to it. (laughs) This is like, I guess, you know, people are taking multiple, uh, or delivering multiple viewpoints on similar topics. And also, this is like another thing, you know, straight sex is like, you know, I don't know. It doesn't necessarily involve specifically the woman being penetrated. Yeah, it's just, right. this is such a, it's like a feel an outdated version or idea about like sex and genders and. You know what roles. bothers me? Sorry. You know what bothers I'm doing it again. Wow. <laughs> I'm doing just it again. Man. You know what bothers me, Avi? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me. I'm about to donate to a, a, a women's charity. Um, but uh, this is just, she's just doing reheated Liz Lemon jokes. This is just 30 Rock. The whole point of Liz's character is like her tension between wanting to scarf an entire, like, hoagie and ha- have sex in the dark. Like, this is just old ass territory. Yeah, it feels a little old. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, I think that Kazi could have written about this topic in a way that was compelling maybe mm-hmm. it just would have had to be a completely different essay <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but okay wait I'm gonna just say why I feel because I still feel a little bit empathetic towards what she might have experienced over the last week with people mm-hmm. critiquing her but I think one thing that stuck out to me that made me feel a little more incensed by this being run was just the apparent lack of effort. Like, to me, this piece really seemed like she shitted out. My biggest pet peeve about it is that there's a bunch of double spaces, like accident, du- accidental double spaces throughout the piece, mm-hmm. which, is ex- which is a telltale sign that this was written on, like, an, a MacBook keyboard. Harley, you remember? Yeah, I, I do remember. <laughs> Constantly double spaces between my words. It's a really annoying. All these keyboards are really broken on the new MacBooks. I think maybe there's a I new think generation the new, now. I think the new one with the new chip. They Okay. Anyway. Well, the ones, the last generation, they suck. So I'm like, I that's my theory. Yeah. It could be another reason. But I think that she literally <laughs> just typed this out, like stream of conscious. The double spaces were left in. Nobody reread it. No, She didn't even go back and edit it. Nobody at the cut edited it. And so just How's- to me, I'm like... It's one thing if you're... So your dad's famous. That's not her fault. And her mom. And her mom. But 
Or not famous, if, but it was like a producer. If you're not even gonna try, I think that's probably, and, and maybe she did, but like it seems as though she didn't try, which I think makes it like really ripe for like the nepotism criticism because it's like, well, it's one thing if she like put all this effort in and you're like, well, okay, well, she's trying to do something. Mm-hmm. Sure, she has a leg up and like, we probably wouldn't have seen this if her parents weren't famous, but mm-hmm. like she's trying to do something here. Right. And it just felt sort of shit out. It's sort of like, well, I, yeah, I have famous parents and this is gonna get sales no matter what. And I also, I don't even need the money, and I just want to write a book, and I yeah. can. And I, I'm not even going to reread this right. after I wrote it once. I mean, is that possible that, like, nepotism is so powerful that an excerpt from a book is not edited when it's making your way into the book and into the cut? Right. It seems crazy, but, like... Like, can you, like... like but for Like, I'm just thinking about this from what would have happened at Man Repeller. You know what I mean? Like, if we... W- we rarely ran excerpts from things, but we would always read them first and, like, correct any glaring grammatical issues or typos or, you know, definitely would have deleted a double, an accidental double space. I mean, some the of them tricky, are in, in between words. The tricky thing with... Um, hey, Ben. <laughs> Bug has come on. To uh, yeah, he wants to sit on our keyboard. I think one thing that's weird with editing excerpts is that you're not really sure how much you can change because this is, like, supposed to reflect what's in the book. Yeah. Um, And I do want to say that, like, sometimes mistakes get through even though, like, oh, (laughs) sorry, bung? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do feel like, you know, you can read something a thousand times and still miss stuff and, like, three people can read it and nobody caught this one thing. And that definitely happens and it's really, really frustrating. For sure. Which, so I think that was like sometimes people were like, "Geez, did anybody read this? Like you you used the wrong like there or whatever." And it's like, "Yes, we did," but we're thank human. you for being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. I I want to give some slack, but there were like fifteen double spaces. <laughs> yeah. There were in words. I mean, it was like if you if you did like a sort of skim of it, you would have caught it. Harling, you described it as cringe. Can you explain that? For me, okay, this was the the cringiest part for me. Mm-hmm. I think with with personal essays like this, where the intent is to expose this like almost like niche thing as somewhat of a universal truth, like some like a the like kind of thing where you want people to go like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like someone has finally verbalized this thought for me that I've always like privately had or never even knew I was thinking, but was thinking all along. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example of like something we published at Man Repeller. Obviously, like I can only remember my own <laughs> my own things, but but like, well, what, why don't you say one? I can think of one that you did. I'm thinking of the one where I talked about like if people knock or jiggle bathroom door, um, knock on the bathroom door, or jiggle the handle. <laughs> wow, should we go around and say which we are? <laughs> Please. I'm a I'm a knock then jiggle. Knock then. I jiggle. do jiggle first. I do jiggle first. You know why? <laughs> You think that's crazy? Okay, wait, we're talking about when you're going up to a public restroom mm-hmm. to ch- and and you're going to go in. Mm-hmm. You knock. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we jiggle, Harley. Yes. Can, can you explain jiggle mindset to me? Okay, jiggle mindset is I will just do it lightly so the person probably doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. And that way I don't make them say, like, in here if I knock. Because <laughs> I don't want to answer. Like, when someone knocks, I have to be like... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in here. I know. <laughs> so I do, awkward. I do struggle to think of what to say. I, I I'd say <laughs> occupied sometimes. Occupied. Which is so funny because it's like. I always say one sec. One even sec. Even though that's a lie. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait. I think I really say, I'm in here. <laughs> I'm in here is good. One sec. It feels panicky. One sec would not work for me because then I would. 
you know, you're not supposed to push too hard, you know? Oh I'm not trying God. to rush things. <laughs> are you, why are you assuming you're pooping? What am I sitting I for? I guess otherwise? for guys, if they're yeah. in like well, You a... don't have to be sitting, you could just be in the bathroom. Oh, I mean, yeah, I guess I was thinking of urinals, but that wouldn't have a lock. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like to knock. Maybe that's more masculine. Not to break down the differences between guys and, and gals. <laughs> no, you know what? I think it is, though. And I think that there's, like, good intentions to both. Mm-hmm. Knocking, of course, is because, like, when someone really forcefully tries to open the door when you're in there, you get really panicky and, like, what if the lock breaks? Well, you're about to be assaulted by someone who's going to take your wallet and Right, because you. maybe you're like, what if they didn't lock it or they don't want... Because it's really scary when someone tries to get into the bathroom when you're in there. It gets yeah, existential. you can't be too yeah. aggressive about it, which some people are, and that's terrifying. I just like to have it all out in the open. It's just like, I need you just to make a noise so that we, we know, and also just kind of be like, look, you know, if you're deep in a feed... It, there are people waiting. Deep in like an Instagram feed? Yeah, if you're doing a scroll right now, it's time to... If you're using Zanga? If you're on my Zanga reading my thoughts... Uh. Yeah, so I think like the other one I thought of, Harling, was you saying that an outfit goes bad at 3 p.m. every day. Oh yeah, that's a good example yeah. too. It's like little observations. So I feel like she was trying to go for the, an observation that everyone's like... Oh my god, yes, but it just fell flat, right? Right, exactly. That, to me, was the most painful part, because I was like, ah, like, I see what you're trying to do, but it's not working, and it's really not working. You know, it, like, mm. the opposite almost, because I'm like, no, no no one I talk to thinks that way. No one thinks there yeah. are literally spatial constraints for fitting a penis <laughs> into your vagina after you eat a long meal, or a big meal, so... Um, <laughs> or that it's like this big secret. I would like to say she might be talking about Pete Davidson, which, you know, <laughs> potentially complicates the anatomy space situation. Famously of big dick energy. Famously. Famously the guy who created, or was Yeah, maybe the she inspiration. only fucks people with like huge dick. Yeah, she had, one day she had two slices of pepperoni, and then Pete Davidson came with that thing swinging, and she... <laughs> she <laughs> Stop. You, you only know your own experience. Yeah, I mean, I think, let's say that it's just a metaphor, and I still think it falls flat. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a bad it's like, metaphor. Why would you be embarrassed to say that you're too... Like, I think it's kind of funny. I mean, I actually, I don't think that I... It hasn't happened to me in a long time, though, where I felt like... This is getting into, like, disordered eating territory, but I feel like when I had more of a fixation with food, like, in my college years, I was more likely to, to eat until I felt, like, really sick. Yeah. And I haven't had that in a while, but Which so is, I wonder yeah. if it is related to, like... I mean, that's kind of the vibe I got. Because yeah. she's like, once I got over not eating enough, I, you know, wanted to push it to the limits. And that just doesn't feel like maybe you're eating intuitively. Yeah, um, which I mean, yeah. every... We've all, we all, like, overeat all the time. Mm-hmm. That's right. just a part of life. But, but yeah, there does feel like there's some sort of com- right. com- complication in there, yeah. And if Can bothers... I... Oh, go ahead. No, no, you please. You go first, Harling, please. I feel like we're really, like, steamrolling. No, not here. at all. I was just going to say that it, do- it, bo- it is a common facet of like personal writing by women historic like I mean maybe less and less so as we wise up to these things but we're like mm-hmm. sort of references to disordered eating are baked into the mm-hmm. subtext of the story without being acknowledged or called out as being disordered you know what I mean yeah and I think that graded a little bit in this essay because that felt like almost archaic to some extent like haven't we metabolize that this is weird to do and you know if I were an editor I would highlight that and say you know let's let's talk about how this needs to be put into some kind of context here um Metab- right. metabolized huh interesting word choice <laughs> <to highlight. laughs> it feels 
feels like it, it, it does. Yeah, exactly. It feels outdated, right? It feels like an essay right. from the aughts, like an exo Jane essay. Yes. So uh, from uh, someone young too, right? Because I think when you're younger, you're maybe less likely to joke around with your partner about why you are or are not in the mood. And it's just right. more open. Like there's less like mystique between it around it. And maybe it's, I mean, sex is really complicated, but I do think that like, as you get older, those things become, there's like less maybe shame around those topics. And just, you get better at communicating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or you, you just, you're, you feel less, you feel more secure and therefore able to, can, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, exert your agency. Mm-hmm. So maybe if she had made it more personal, like she was like, this is like a weird fixation to have. Like I'm convinced it's because there's not enough room in my stomach, but I like cannot like cannot confirm this by science. Right. And like this has been like a weird fixation for me forever. And like just talking about like funny scenarios and like in which she's been felt like she had to choose between the two and it's like caused rift causes rifts in her relationship like i feel like that could have gone somewhere yes instead of using the first person plural which she does frequently i think what's what's grating about the essay is that she's 26 she's got a book coming out and you know like clearly nepotism is one of the big factors she even acknowledges it herself um and so i was kind of thinking about what it is what is uh like the kind of thing that makes you what is it about nepotism that, that sort of irritates so much, right? Yeah. I tried to come up with a nepotism ranking system, and I was wondering if we could like, like um, put our heads together and figure out <laughs> what it is that makes nepotism so frustrating. Yes, definitely. So, and what can hedge against it? Like, is it possible for somebody to not be critiqued on those grounds? Yeah, like, when is it, when it, when is it fair to levy nepotism versus, like, oh, I mean, this person does have an accomplished parent or whatever, but these, this person is, you know whatever, deserving in their own right. I mean, obviously the meritocracy is a lie and everything in America has to do with, like, the class position you started off in, for the most part. Yeah, because there's so many talented people everywhere. It's like, does anyone really deserve to be super famous? It's like, they just had, like, the right things happen to them, It's chance, always, to some extent. I mean, yeah, or in general, is it good that billionaires are hoarding so much wealth while everything else is going around us? But anyway, (laughs) nepotism. So... I, I had these three, th- three, three things that I thought of as like a starting point, and then we can kind of just riff from there. And then, Kiki, feel free to yeah, add your thoughts, too. I think he might be snoring into the microphone. I might have to banish him. All right. Can we... Can we... Or if he settles down, Kiki? He's breathing extra loud today. Right? Do you think we should... Can you hear him, Arles? Mm. Oh, yeah. Now I hear him. Okay, hold on. I'm going to... I'm going to move He's like snorting. I also have to pee. Okay. And then we're going to start right with your ranking system. Great. Okay, we're back. Um, let's talk about some of these notes you took on on nepotism. Yeah, it's like what is what makes nepotism frustrating? Because my notes essentially consist of what the definition of nepotism is, uh, my first blush at a uh, ranking, and then just a bunch of cases of nepotism in entertainment, politics, and media. Do you want to before we go in? Can you just like name check some of those people you have listed there? <laughs> without without getting into them, just sort of like, sure. in case you're not thinking about it, here are some people. So nepotism, as we discussed in the Emily in Paris episode, if you haven't listened, stop immediately, go back and listen to the entire thing. <laughs> um, but uh, nepotism permeates our, everything in, in the modern world. Um, for example, here are some cases that I compiled. In entertainment, we have Gwyneth Paltrow, Drew Barrymore, Kate Hudson, uh, Donald Trump, who I, I guess is also... A, 
uh, in politics as well. Um, Miley Cyrus, Dakota Johnson, the entire cast of Emily in Paris, the Coppolas, including Sophie, uh, Sophia Coppola, um, Jason Schwartzman, and Nick Cage, uh, Chet Hanks, which is the good kind of nepotism because he, he rocks. <laughs> Unironically love him. Um, Megan McCain, the entire cast of Girls. Um, Such a good one. Yeah, it was like Zosha Mamet, Allison Williams. Um, Lena Dunham. I know. Not familiar with who that is. And then um, <laughs> Jemima Kirky, or Kirk, sorry. My apologies to Jemima. Um, who I love, by the way. Yeah, I who's do the, too. Who's incredible. I love her so much. She's going to be on Bad uh, Sex Education. Do you guys watch that show? No, but I've heard about it. It's so she good, it. and she's going to be... Anyways, move right, on. That's yes, a, you that's should a, That's a future app for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kardashians... Yeah, obviously. Jessica Capshaw of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> that was a that was just an addition for you, Harley. Amber Thank Tamlin. You. So Amber Tamlin is another one. Um, whose dad is. There's Ross. so many though. I think if you pretty much name a celebrity, they're gonna have like a famous uncle or someone in the biz. Right. I mean, there's so many. We didn't talk about what's her um, Emma Roberts. There's like a million that I missed. Right. Right. It's um, so ironic since like obviously acting is not an inherited skill, and yet <laughs> Hollywood would leave you lead you to believe that it is. There's Chris Pine, there's Robert Downey Jr., there's, I mean, a bunch. I, wait, I'm so glad you said that. Can I bring up a really quick quote I got? Yeah. Because the other day I was reading um, an interview with Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, their, their first movie together since Overboard, which was came out in 1991, mm-hmm. which is an incredible movie. Everybody should give it a look. Actually, I don't really know how, how it's That's aged. That's what the other movie was that we were trying to think of yesterday. Oh, really? Overboard. Anyway, mm-hmm. sorry. Um... I, I, I'm just nostalgic for it. Mm-hmm. Not trying to make any statements about that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the interviewer said, <laughs> it sounds like your grandkids will continue the acting tradition too. And she said, there's no doubt about it. It's pretty amazing how those genes just keep moving on. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> and I really had to laugh. You have to laugh. That is I'm so like, oh yeah, funny. it's definitely the genes, Goldie. It's definitely the genes. I mean, we watched Death Becomes Her yesterday, and she really puts in a once-in-a-lifetime performance in that one. Have you seen that, Harley? No, I haven't. It's a, it's like a dark comedy that's very uh, um, effects-heavy. Uh, starring Meryl Streep yeah. and Goldie Hawn. Wow. I think you might have is gotten... Is it actually f- good? You might have gotten a $4 Venmo for it. Oh, oh yeah. I was like, why does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, you, uh... Anyway, let's go back to your list, because I feel like our listeners are, like, tired of going on seven tangents. Yeah, we, yeah we've sorry, been very sorry, distracted this up. Okay, okay so... so politics. I'll just, I'll just breeze through these really quick. Okay. All right, politics. So Justin Trudeau, Joe Kennedy, and all the Kennedys in general, Jared Ivanka and the Trump crew... The Bushes, but like that's incredible because you got the Jenna Hager Bushes. You got H.W. and W. because um, H.W.'s dad, Prescott Bush, was, a, I think, a senator from Connecticut and also tried to overthrow the U.S. government under FDR and helped uh, the industrial um, regime of the Nazis. Interesting guy. There's Jeb. Uh, there's Billy Bush from the, the Grabber by the Pussy Tape. You have the Cokes, whose dad was like a Bert, John Bircher. You have the Newsoms, Gavin Newsom. Um, his dad was very closely tied to the Gettys, the Pelosi's. Um, you have the Pelosi's. You have the Cuomo's, uh, the Dailies. Shout out to Chicago. You have Ghislaine Maxwell, whose dad, uh, Robert Maxwell, was uh, allegedly a Mossad spy. Um, and obviously, she's tied. She was supposedly dating Bill Clinton and went to Chelsea Clinton's wedding and the, Robert, the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. 
Mitt Romney, whose dad, George Romney, was the governor of Michigan. The Clintons, Chelsea has gotten lots of legs up. Then you have media, so you have William F. Buckley, Mario Cuomo, to get back to the Cuomos, John Podoritz, Anderson Cooper comes from the Vanderbilts. Um, Love that one. Wow. He's a CIA asset, probably, uh, allegedly. <laughs> Tucker Carlson, also allegedly a CIA operative. Number one um, news program. In the country? Yeah, very, very dark. Um, Arthur Salz Salzberger, who took over the New York Times, just, just got that as like a sort of gift from his family, which is so cool because that's the paper of record. Um, too bad they beat the drum for us to go into Iraq. And then you have the Murdochs, who, you know, News Corp owns the Wall Street Journal and so many other um, publications. Let's see, there's also Dow Jones and Company, the, the Sky stuff, uh, New York Post, the only good newspaper, um, <laughs> and HarperCollins. So, it's, it's so easy to find. I mean, this is honestly just like, it's, you you don't even really have to look up. This is just me riffing. I mean, this is just like an endless list yeah. of yeah. this shit. You know what I love about the, the Kardashian one? Hmm. Is you guys remember when Kendall said that actually her family made it harder for her to be a model? Uh. <laughs> because she had to overcome, like, people's expectations of her? I, I mean, forgot about oh. that. It's, it's a beautiful, a beautiful argument. You, you just can't even make this up. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wonder if, like, what Eric Trump could have accomplished if he wasn't in his dad's shadow. You know, <laughs> what businesses he would have made. Um, poor Eric. Poor Eric. That's, I'm always saying poor Eric. Um, okay, so that's nepotism. I just Hopefully that just, like, infected your brain enough to continue this conversation. Um about a ranking system. Like, what is so frustrating? And, like, is there, you know, the, the good versus the sort of benign nepotism? So this is what I've broken it down as. And I'm sorry, I will stop talking for the rest of the podcast after this. <laughs> it's just not really a ranking, is it? The, I, I think this is, like, the metrics on which you can judge, would help you determine whether nepotism is, like, the, the contributing factor or if it is more incidental. Okay. So what I have is the height-skills gap, Right. So what I mean by that is like the gulf between how high someone has reached versus the skills they have. So I think if you look at the Cassie David thing, you're like, you're getting a book and a piece in the cut, but you're not really that accomplished of a writer. You got a internship at College Humor, you know, that's very coveted. But again, like who knows what if it was because of your, your dad. Um, but there's also, you know, like Robert Downey Jr., Freddie Prince Jr., Enrique Iglesias, good in their own right. Or like Steph Curry, he's hitting shots from half court. Oh my God, I haven't thought about Enrique Iglesias. Is that who you meant to say? Enrique? What did I say? No, that's what you said. Yeah, because his dad, Julio Iglesias, also a musician. I didn't know that. I like Enrique. <laughs> oh my God, remember that song? What was the song about, like, a ping pong ball? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's a deep cut. No, no, no. That was, that was a huge song. Harley, <laughs> like, I knew that you'd remember that. Um, okay, wait. Can I make one comment about Kazi's skill height gap? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the ping pong song. Do you know the ping pong yeah. song? Do you know? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's little sounds Do like ping pong know? balls. Um, so I went back and watched Kazi David's web series called Eighty Six. Did you ever watch that, Harling? No, I didn't. Um, it's from 2017, and I thought it was, like, kind of funny. Like, I didn't think it was um, 
it was horrible at all. Like, I think that it was a, it was similar, similar to Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think it was, she's not like a great actor, but I think that like, it's more about a vehicle for like her observational comedy. Mm -hmm. She's like, she clearly has funny ideas and like makes funny observations. Yeah. So I think she kind of reminded me of anyone who's like maybe around that age and like wants to make, um, like funny shows and movies. Yeah. And I think that's way too far down. It's giving me PTSD <laughs> from an ex. Um, sorry, he just pulled his beanie way too far down his head. Um, so I think that, like, I think that actually, like, with a little with a little time and effort, like, Kazi could be a funny person making a show mm-hmm. or a, a movie or something like that. Yeah. And maybe maybe personal essays just aren't her medium. And, like... <laughs> Right. Or this is a really bad essay compared to the other ones, and they picked it because it was like more incendiary or something. Right, right, right. Which I wouldn't put it past them. And like, so I think that, like, you know, in defense of Cassie, I don't think I think it's tough when you're judged on like the last public thing, and like now it's like, oh, she's unfunny and untalented. When, mm-hmm. you know, she actually might have whether or not it, they're worthy of like the amount of maybe like funding she's getting yeah. to do these projects. The attention. It's yeah, exactly. It's still, I mean. What 86 was just a web series, like a shitty web series. It was also it wasn't like, like an HBO show or anything. It was like kind that. of funny. Yeah, it's what kind I of saw. funny. Yeah. Um, I so, think she so, could be yeah. funny on Instagram too. Oh, really? I don't follow yeah. her. Yeah, I'm sure she's like, I'm sure she's actually like a funny, a really funny person. Uh, yeah. She was also pretty good in the cameo that she, her sister, and her father had on Hannah Montana. <laughs> <laughs> This was something that Avi learned about this part morning. Of my, part of my research. That's double nepotism, since Miley is also nepotism. Exactly. Oh, and Miley, incredible. the musical guest, when Larry David hosted SNL that one time. Oh, they love to combine forces. So, what, Do you think that there's a conspiracy? There's there? a, there's a, um, a, a nexus of nepotism happening at the intersection of Larry David and Miley Cyrus. I don't know what it is, but it's just I'm trying to pierce the veil so we can see the invisible powers that shape our lives. <laughs> so that's number one, the height skills gap. Um, number two is the do you know who my father is quotient, um, which is like how much do they lean on their family name. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- what I'm thinking of uh, is an illustrative example is Emilio Estevez versus Charlie Sheen. Emilio Estevez took his uncle's last name so that he could not try, so he could try to, I mean, I think everyone knows who his dad is, but like, it was his way of trying to separate his dad's legacy from his own accomplishments. Whereas Charlie Sheen just was like happy to ride on his dad's name. Yeah, cash in on that. You know, it's like, oh, my dad did Apocalypse Now, so I'll do pl- Platoon. But don't you think there's something kind of performative about being like, I'm gonna get there on my own? Because it's like, no, you're not, because you're still rich and you still have all the connections. You just like changed your name. Yeah. Maybe you almost want, like, you get all the same connections, but people don't think that you have a rich parent, so you get more credit for your It's just PR. Accomplishments. It's just PR. Uh-huh. It's like Olivia, Olivia Wilde, and her mom is like... Oh, yeah. Something. Oh, yeah, her, Olivia her Wilde. Are, her parents are journalists. Right. I think her last name was Cockburn. Cockburn, yeah, CBS journalist or something like that. Oh, why didn't mm-hmm. she go with that one for her famous name? <laughs> Um, Going for Wild instead of Cockburn? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yes. So. I like Olivia Wilde. I don't so, really know that much about so her. So with, with regards to the Cassie like David piece, I mean, I don't know that she's doing too much of the do you know who my father is, but there is sort of a Larry David um, quality that permeates the, the piece, which is like, here's an uncomfortable uh, 
observe here's a, an observation about an uncomfortable social situation. She has a really similar like comedic instinct mm-hmm. as her dad. Yeah. Whether it's maybe it's learned, but it's yeah, in eighty six I thought had a lot of similarities to curb right. your enthusiasm. Yeah, definitely. It's she's a little it's a little like curmudgeonly. Yep. And and because they're the brave truth teller. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating to have to do that. Too. Yeah. Which by the way, I love Larry David. Did yeah. he have a, a famous parent? I don't think so. Wow, so he's a freshie. He's a freshie. <laughs> Authentic. Yeah, mm-hmm. genuinely talented. Even though I know a lot of people think he's annoying, but like he he really did create like a he carved out a kind of space in comedy that felt new. Dude, he's great. I mean, the stories of him quitting SNL, realizing he was broke, and then just like going back in. Wait, I didn't know about that story. <laughs> I Me might either. be telling it wrong, but like apparently he, uh, like, early on in the SNL days, he like quit. Uh, because he was like taking a moral stance and then like it dawned on him what he had done and so he just showed up the next day <laughs> that's like, <laughs> like something no- on a curve like nothing happened which is just such a Larry David anecdote <laughs> um, I mean Larry David I think is just completely Larry David because I actually we don't have to go into no it. you know those like videos of him like get, there was a video of when him when he got like, mad at the, in the parking garage yeah that's what I was gonna bring up he like there's an actual video of him in LA like getting really mad in a parking garage like at the attendant or like something about the like the little arm not going up in time or the ticket maybe being hard to reach. I don't know. Something related to going to a Yeah, he... Exactly. He was trying to make the credit card reader work, but he couldn't get it to work and he got out of the car to do it because I think he'd parked too far away. <laughs> and then he had to, like, go back and tell the person who was filming behind him, like, what the situation is because it was taking so long. Which is just, like, a Curb... Like, a little snippet from a Curb episode, basically. Yeah. Yeah. He is himself in Curb, yeah. basically, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And then, you know, George Costanza being, like, loosely based on him gives you a bit more insight into this sort of impotent rage that he feels. <laughs> um, okay, so um, the, other, the third thing that I have, and this is sort of a vague one, this is the more, um, this is just like an ambient uh, essence uh, that I call the uncle factor or nephewdom. Um, and it's just an un- unknowable essence that nephews have that makes the nepotism feel worse. Over nieces? Um, well, the reason I bring up nephews is because when I looked up um, nepotism, it actually comes from the Italian word nepotismo, which is based on Latin root, the Latin root nepos, which means nephews. And it's because there was a, um, a Middle Ages practice uh, that Catholic popes used to do to put their nephews in charge. Um, I love that the Italian word is nepotismo. That's like exactly what I would guess it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nepotismo. Nepotismo. <laughs> That's um, interesting. Uh huh. And in fact, there's an entire Wikipedia article with six various uh, headers called Cardinal Nephew, like it's hyphenated, about the sort of practice of installing these cardinal nephews, um, which is like the original nepotism. So I mean, all... yeah, the whole like the feudal world was all about nepotism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and royalty obviously is just the it's, ultimate, yeah. the ultimate nephewdom. And the ultimate nephew, I'd say, is Prince Andrew. He was married to Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas. And uh, that's not true, but he was married to the Duchess <laughs> Fergie. And famously has been in Epstein's Black Book and was, he denied the allegations that he was tied to the sex trafficking ring because he said that he, due to an injury in the war, was unable to sweat for okay. a decade. <laughs> and meanwhile was sweating pu- profusely while... Yeah, while sweating profusely. What happens if you can't sweat? 
You just overheat. You pant like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't engaged in, in a sex trafficking ring. He was, he was panting because he couldn't sweat. He wasn't turning into a cartoon wolf because he was horny. Okay, so I think that the reason the height skills gap, which I feel like is sort of the at the center of this, is what people what makes people annoyed about this is the opportunity gap, right? Or it's like unequal opportunity. America's mythology, the, we're all sold on the idea that like the the harder you work and mm-hmm. the more talented you are, the higher you'll go. Yeah. But obviously, this is a complete lie. Yeah. And I think that nepotism, especially like in Hollywood, mm-hmm. is the perfect exemplar of this failure in our country. It's like it it I think that maybe it makes people angry because it makes so plain what anyone would know if you really look at the facts, which is that like people who have fame and fortune were given the opportunity to have those things in like a very clear and straightforward way. And most, I mean, there are obviously exceptions, and those are like the most celebrated examples in American culture of like rags to riches story. But most people who are rich have rich parents. Yeah. It's just how it works. Just like if yeah, if you look at sort of how how people move through classes in this country, you both basically poverty is a trap, and so is so is luxury. Yeah, so I think nepotism. It's like a it's a, it's salt in the wound of the American dream. It's like of like I'm. Everyone kind of knows, maybe, but it's like a really stark reminder that, mm-hmm. like, actually, if you had a famous parent, you could just write a shitty book. I mean, I, I don't know. Let's take Cassie out of it because her book might be good, and I just don't want to shit on her anymore. She's also 26. She's 26. Yeah. And you know what? If my parent was Larry David, maybe I'd be running or trying to publish a book at 26. Yeah. Um, and I'd be using a lot of universal we's that were inappropriate. For sure. For sure. And also, just, like, what perspective could she have? Or, like, I'm sure her perspective has been winnowed because of the life that she was given. So the point is we're critiquing the system, or what people should do, maybe, is critique the system versus the individuals. Another frustration with nepotism is that there are very few safeguards against it. There are very few mechanisms in place or mechanisms that are trying to be, we're trying to put into place to stop nepotism from being such a force. Because it's kind of hard to regulate like I know there are some big corporations that have nepotism clauses where they're like if you're related to anyone who works here you can't apply for a job here oh whoa Um, I never heard of that yeah the one that comes to mind is because I have a friend whose parent works there is Citibank um Mm. and they if you if you if anyone if you relate to anyone who works there you can't apply for a job there which is interesting and it's rare um wow Citibank the beacon of morality (laughs) I know. Is <laughs> providing us bikes yeah. and anti-nepotism clauses, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, anti-nepotism clause. But in other instances, nepotism is almost <laughs> encouraged, or it's like so baked into how the system works. Like I'm thinking of schools. in Hollywood, right? Oh, and schools. schools. Sorry, yeah. Like if you if you're a legacy, that's like a leg up, and intentionally so. Um, yeah, Hot and that. <laughs> yeah, Comes Harry's son was guaranteed to get into Hogwarts. I was thinking his dad, James. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Oh, yeah. Three well, generations just, it, like, now. Everyone who went to Hogwarts who was a wizard. There weren't other options. Well, there were other options if you lived in other you're countries. Just, yeah. You're just spewing Hogwarts PR. In the UK, it was Hogwarts <laughs> or bust. Yeah. It's about who you know. Plus, Hogwarts is free, right? I don't know. Is it? I actually have no idea. <laughs> 
Should guess. we stop the podcast and look this up? Yeah, maybe. I'm sure J.K. Rowling has like issued a referendum and on that, me, whether or not yeah. it was in the book. She, yeah, she's, she's like, actually, it was free except for trans people. Yeah, she... <laughs> yeah. Wait. She, she was like, it, it's, it would be free except for these hook-nosed goblin bankers. <laughs> yeah, that was Gosh, pretty there bad. There were so many problematic things. Um, okay, yeah, anyways, tangent, but essentially... I think that's a really irksome part of nepotism too, is that they're like, no one's really trying to stop the tide. So it feels kind of helpless. Yeah. I mean, Lily Rose Depp, like people love to see famous kids. Yeah. People kind of, they want the fame is passed on to the kids because people love celebrities. They want to know what's going on with the celebrities. And it's like, it's fun. I think it's even fun to like, be like, Oh, where's their kid? Like, I remember when they, when that star was pregnant in like 2005 and their kids 15 now, like, what are they doing? Like, I'm curious too, because fame is such a, has such a gravity in this country. And like, I know that they're probably doing something in media. Do you guys know about Miss Golden Globe? No. What's that? Every year at the Golden Globes, they crown someone Miss Golden Globe. And the whole point is that it's always supposed to be the daughter of a famous celebrity. What? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -mm. That's incredible, Harling. Wait, who have spent some past winners? For some reason, the only one who's coming to mind is like Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. (laughs) Wait, this is a crazy tradition. Can you Google it, please? Yeah. Miss Golden Globe. Look it up. Oh, okay. Obviously, gonna pee really fast. So you guys rest. Okay, Miss Golden Globe. Okay, it's called a Golden Globe. Okay, it could be Mr. Golden Globe as well. Okay, 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 Mr. <laughs> Miss. I'm on the Wikipedia. The Golden Globe ambassador until 2017, Miss Golden Globe or Mr. Golden Globe. Okay, so they've changed. They've rebranded to be gender a specific. Okay, so it used to just be Miss. It was Miss or Mister, and now it's just the Golden Globe ambassador. Thank you. Okay, great. Oh my gosh, I'm so intrigued. It, is the young I, person who assists in the Golden Globe Awards presentation by handing out trophies to the winners and escorting them off stage. The first Miss Golden Globe was named in 1963. Since 1971, the position was held by a celebrity's daughter or occasionally a son or both. Parents have fiercely competed for their child to take the role, <laughs> which is awarded by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association's president from among candidates selected by the association's board. Being active on social media is part of the selection criteria. That's insane. Oh my. So it's kind of like a feeder. It's a feeder for nepotism. Oh my God, it really is, Harling. That's such an incredible example. <laughs> okay, wait, I'm going to read some past winners. It literally is given to kids of celebrities. Hate it. Okay, I'm just going to name some that I recognize. Mm-hmm. Dakota Johnson. Shout out to her. Uh, Rumor Willis. Uh-huh. Sam Michael Fox, who I'm assuming is Michael J. Fox, yeah, yep. and Tracy Pollan's kid. Uh, Sozie Bacon, Kevin Bacon oh, and Kevin Kyra Stoddard. Sedgwick's kid, yeah. Sophia Stallone, Sistine Stallone, and Scarlett Stallone. Are they triplets? I don't know. I don't know. Is this their ages? Oh, those are the ages, yeah. Why were there three given to all the Stallone daughters? And this year it was Dylan and Paris Brosnan, the kids of oh. Pierce and Kelly Shea Smith. Why did this happen? This is so wild. So I feel like I think it's people have a frustration more with the fact that like meritocracy is a lie. Yeah. And then and so we kind of pick out these individuals um, when 
to sort of hate on when really the issue is the fact that simply people are not all given the same opportunities. They're avatars of a broken system. Exactly. There's a, there's a similar, like, frustration with, like, the way that, like, how far money gets you, how far a famous parent gets you, how far beauty gets you, and just this, like, underlying frustration with the fact that people are just simply not given equal opportunity. And someone, like, it's not Cassie's fault. I mean, she was given, you know, she's given the opportunity to write a book, like, she's going to do it. Right. I mean, I suppose she could take, like, a moral stance and be, like, actually, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I guess maybe that's what people would rather she do is say, like, I'm going to, you know, take, take writing really seriously. I'm going to, like, just sign up for, like, a, get a degree just like other people have to do. And I'm going to, like, work on, like, my chops, write freelance until, like, I gain respect for my skill and then I'll write a book or something like that. That's what people want. I I mean... Yeah. But why would she do that? It's not fair to her. Yeah, why would she do that? It's just like she has to live a sort of ascetic life because of whatever. Like, I mean, I'm a beneficiary of lots of of privileges, too. Yeah. Um, And I think think it's really easy to justify it, too, in your head. Like, you don't think necessarily that this moment will last forever, you know? And you might as well take advantage of it when you can, while you can. Yeah, there's probably, like, a sense of urgency for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, because she's not that famous. I think a lot of people will be like, who's Cassie David? Right. Because Larry David himself, despite being, like, incredibly famous among a certain cohort, like, you know, he's not, like... I mean, he's got an HBO show, and people know what Seinfeld is. No, um, but I he know. Didn't, he but he couldn't get not... a reservation. He couldn't get... They showed up to a restaurant in Hannah, Montana, but he couldn't use his his name recognition to get a seat, but Hannah, Montana, she walks in, immediately gets a table. <laughs> That Maybe he should start point. a Zanga to kind of get his message out there. I agree. You know, being more present on social media can help you become Miss Golden Glow or Mr. Golden Glow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think she's just the avatar for our frustrations for um, how unjust things feel. Or, like, you feel like you are you deserve better, which everyone does, except for, like, the 17 people who own half the wealth in, wealth in this country. I actually think that that resentment is at the root of, like, a lot of internet rage. You know, I think that, like, it, you know, people are really ang- angry at individuals when they're actually really angry at, like, like an unfair systems, system. Yeah. yeah. And Certainly. it's hard to remember if when if someone is, like, in particularly the fo- I think it makes us feel like we're all more angry at each other. It, it, it I mean, it erodes solidarity. Yeah. Right. It makes us all fight with each other. I mean, not that, like, we're in the same cohort as Cassie David, but, like. I would just say, oh no, because she's like literally in the billionaire. <laughs> I mean, is, I don't think she has a billion Well, she's dollars. not a billionaire, but Larry David is, or he's very close. He's, he's close according to CelebrityNetWorth.com. Which is famously in, inaccurate. But. Investigative. Uh, but I believe it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure it. he's worth a, a jillion dollars, just like, uh, just like Jerry Seinfeld is. Yeah. But I think, like, instead of getting mad at, like, well, why is wealth distributed so unequally? And, like, why do we value these things over, you know, skill or whatever? And instead of, like, questioning those, we just get mad at people because they're just easier to dislike because, Mm -hmm. like, humans are competitive and... It's just less abstract, too. It's just less abstract, yeah. Of course, because yeah. saying the system... I mean, I've, I'm even sick of saying that. I feel like we need to start getting more specific. Yeah. But, um... 
Well, the internet also encourages that kind of, it encourages pinning mm-hmm. your frustrations on people that are um, like easily snarked on because that generates likes and retweets and buzz and um, like it's it's in their it, the it's in like Twitter's best interest if we're talking about Kazi David and not about wealth distribution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Twitter's a Twitter's a good platform for communication where it makes <laughs> abstractions like companies into people and people into abstractions, and then also Jack Dorsey, while he's on like a thirteen day uh, broth cleanse, is also in charge of censoring information, which he deems is like. Uh, inaccurate. It's a good system that we set up, and I'm. That's why I'm still on Twitter. <laughs> you support it actively. Yeah, I just I just deleted my Zanga. I'm back on Twitter. <laughs> One thing I want to bring up, just because we're talking about nepotism, and I think it was like something that happened a few years ago, but obviously time doesn't mean anything. I found a cut piece from 2017, which is um, a piece on Wyatt Coke, who um, is from the you know conservative dark money family, the Koch brothers. And he became famous in 2017 because he was like just the full embodiment of uh, nepotism. Do you remember this at all? What? The um, story? The, the Wyatt Koch story. No, no, no. You should text it to Harling so she can take a gander and give us her pr- professional opinion as someone who works in fashion. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't have messages on this computer. I love to, um, I love to employ your, your professional skills, Harling. <laughs> You tell me what you think. Okay. Okay, so this guy, Wyatt Coke, he is, he was born, like, in a pile of coins like Scrooge McDuck, and um, he started a clothing line, as so many just, like, wealthy heirs do, and it is called uh, Wyatt Ingram, as uh, um, I did some uh, very deep investigative Googling today for hey, five minutes. he's like the Emilio Estevez of the Hawaiian shirt industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no Coke in the name to be right. seen. Um, and he makes these shirts, and the, the tagline is, Be Bold, similar to Be, be best. best. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh-huh. I'm looking at the shirts. And it's basically their $79 shirts that Oh, you know what? Have... I do remember this. I do remember this. It's coming back to me. Yeah. The shirts aren't bad. I mean, the what the the money bags pattern? Yeah. Oh, wait, I didn't... Wait, okay, sorry. I thought that was, like, lemons. I don't have my glasses on. No. It's, like, <laughs> no, a bunch of money bags. Of money. Oh, my God. It's a Hawaiian shirt with bags of money. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, wow, wow. And um, he... Yeah, he's just... He looks... Just like a large adult son, which is, was one of those internet things from back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Just shocking red hair and just like a n- black shirt with neon um, stripes and palm trees on it. And if you watch the video, that we, you should link this in the email, but if you watch the video, he talks about how he like has a passion for design and then they cut to him drawing and it looks like he's like holding a crayon in his fist <laughs> and drawing a stick figure with a shirt that like has an arrow with money bags on it. <laughs> and he's like, it's a, it's a great shirt for if you're like sailing on a yacht or in a boardroom, but want to keep it casual. And it's like, God, you, you fucking honey glazed ham of a human being. I think that, uh, you know what? This reminded me of like the kind of fail son, fail children, fail yeah. daughter thing. Yeah. It's this idea that, like, sometimes kids are trying really hard to use nepotism and they just, like, it, it, 
it's such a glaring mismatch between the skill and the height. Like, if it, if that gap is too big, it becomes mm-hmm. a joke. Right. Right. Um, I also think it's worth bringing up, which that reminded me, that, like, there are a lot of celebrity kids that we never hear about. Maybe they even try and they don't. So it's like, I do think there tends to be, especially the ones who get famous, like, they have something. They're bringing something to the table. I feel like there's a lot of, there's a huge contingent of celebrity kids who get addicted to shit and then, like, or just have really rough lives, too. Yeah, yeah. I do think that, True. like, having that access is... It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, I mean, I think on on balance, it's it's not all easy. Yeah, I mean, I just pulled this quote when I was looking up um, that Kazi said in an interview with Glamour. My dad told me at a super young age that what I need to do to feel fulfilled and not sad and alone is to write comedy. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I mean, is, is that a joke? I don't know. <laughs> That's what everyone's asking when they read Cassie's. <laughs> like, are you, are you joking about being too full to fuck? <laughs> exactly. Is this, all, is this piece of satire? Because then it would be funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be good. I think, you know, there's probably an audience out there for Kazi's essay, you know? Yeah, those who are too full to fuck. <laughs> yeah, or maybe, like, a younger audience or people who who are kind of... I don't know how to say this, but... Like, maybe they, they are more, like, entrenched in the gender roles, like, in their community. And it is, like, taboo to say something like that to a partner or, like, you know... I don't want to presume that everybody's see these things the way that I do. Don't want to use a universal we, let's say. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. But anyway, we've definitely got a link to uh, Wyatt Coke's shirt line. Yeah, that's yeah. a great call out. Yeah, and maybe even just link to a picture of Mike Huckabee with his sons all wearing matching shirts. <laughs> I love that photo. Because those are some large adult sons. <laughs> and one of them, I mean... One of them worked for the White House, obviously. Not the son, Sarah. And and then one of them, I think, hung a dog at camp. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Did, did anybody ever write up the large adult son thing? Yeah. I feel like Gia Tolentino did. I think she might have, actually. Yeah. I got a link to that, too. Revisit and link. Yeah. Um, But really, I mean, all the best to Kazi David. Yeah, and I mean, this, like, she... I'm sure she's funny and great in real life, you know? And I'm sure that Infamy will help to sell more books. But I don't, I'm, I don't know if she'll see that as worth it. She's already rich, and she probably... She said in another interview that she's like feels like, compul- like a compulsive need to check online because she's scared that she'll get, like... I don't know if canceled is the right word, because I don't think she got canceled for this essay, but it was exactly what happened, which is, like, I'm scared everyone's going to be talking shit about me. Do you guys... Yeah. I mean, you I'm guys... I'm sure she hated this. I'm curious as to your reaction to some of the... I mean, we were talking about, like, harm, harmless snark in the beginning, but I know that, like, I see sometimes how the comments, how you uh, absorb them and, and deal with them, and it's not always pleasant. Even the ones that think that, even some comments that, like, they think they're being helpful or contributing. Mm-hmm. And I, Harling, I remember one time, you wrote something uh, about an oat milk latte that had a round <laughs> on Twitter. Does this ring a bell? Oh, it does. <laughs> about the great Oatly shortage? Yeah, which People is like just took like a, so seriously yeah, and was, didn't think was satire. Well, it's a perfect ex- encapsulation of what happens to, on Twitter because it was like they completely denuded. It. it was completely yeah. denuded of any context of like how lightweight of a piece it was and your entire voice in general. And people were like, "This person 
almost died because they didn't get an oat milk latte in Soho. <laughs> right, which I was like mocking myself yeah. in the piece and then they took it out of context to make it seem like I was taking myself really seriously. It was horrifying. Um, what yeah, did you do? Was, do you remember? What did I do? Yeah, what was your reaction to that situation? Honestly, that feels like such... It, like, my frustration with what happened then feels like such small potatoes compared to, like, more recent internet snark and critique that uh-huh. I've been subjected to. Like, that sure. feels like child's play. <laughs> you know, like... like <laughs> yeah, de- totally. Any, sh- any crumb of devastation I felt then pales in comparison to, like, what it felt like to be misunderstood on, like, a much larger, larger and harsher scale. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it feels... It's awful, to feel like people are banding together to snark on you and reduce you to this, like, caricature, I guess, this unnuanced caricature of who they think you are based on, like, the information they have about you, which is limited because they've never met you. That's why I call it gossip, because I feel like it's more about people wanting to, like, um, assert their position on, like, Mm -hmm. a type of person... Yeah. It's not really about you. Like, I don't think that person who did the whole... Like, I think the person who kind of went viral for making fun of your oat milk latte story, they want they didn't really care about critiquing you. Like, I don't think they were like, who is this person in power who gets no, to do no, this? No. I think that that was more gossipy. It was just trying to be like, I'm going to make fun of this person who takes herself really seriously so that, like, it's clear that I'm not the type of person or I'm the person who can, like, observe from the outside. It's sort of like a countercultural take. It's, like, it's more about her and connecting with other people who agree with her. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think it really serves more of a gossip function, and that's so much of, like, internet snark. Yeah. But I think what gets lost is that people forget, like, you're in a public forum, the person who you're talking about can see this, and they're a real person. And, like, maybe if you read the article, you would see that it was satire, and now you're just, like, tearing someone down for no reason so it's like it gets really blurry yeah there's also and, a very particular yeah. level of like internet not quote fa- i'll use the word fame but obviously i'm not internet famous but i have somewhat of a public presence where people would be able to find me through the internet and mm-hmm. i like but it's small enough that i of course like i read everything that's said about me or anything that mentions my name like any demented reddit thread yeah i've read it so but when you're <laughs> when you're you know, Tom Hanks, which is a terrible example because no one snarks on him, but um, he's not reading the Reddit threads. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, this weird niche level of internet fame, which I'm sure Cassie David falls into because, as we've said, she's not super famous. I'm sure she's reading every tweet. Yeah. Tom Hanks is a tool of the American empire. (laughs) Yeah, you found one person here who will talk shit on Tom Hanks. I'm skeptical of Tom Hanks. (laughs) The first person, American... By the way, the first the, um, the American who first got COVID, who apparently changed it so that everyone suddenly took COVID seriously, mm-hmm. like not when like a like million people died. Well, you're talking about Jim Lovell, who you know navigated the Apollo 13 capsule back. You have Forrest Gump, who served in Vietnam and met uh, LBJ. <laughs> you have the Bridge of Spies guy. You have all of these figures all of this Americana wrapped into one media character and he gets COVID? Hmm. (laughs) Catch all these other podcasts where he explores Tom Hanks' connection with the CIA. (laughs) 
Okay, guys, this was, I feel like this was a great follow-up to Emily in Paris. Yeah, you're going to yeah. have a fun time editing this one. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> excited, actually, for season two, though, of Emily in Paris, so that we can come back. You mean Emily in Paris. Oh, pardonnez-moi. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, Emily in Paris. Yeah. It's supposed to rhyme, people. Oh, man. God. See the artistic vision. Yeah. Feel it. Mm-hmm. Breathe it in. There's layers to <laughs> this right. shit. Yeah, there's always layers. Yep. All right. Love you, Harls. Love you guys. Thanks for coming on. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for having me. Anytime you want a Grey's Anatomy update, you know where to you know where to go. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you so much to Avi and Harling for coming on. I'm thinking of making them a kind of more regular installment in 2021. Um, TBD. But as always, feel free to leave your thoughts. Maybe even weigh in on whether you too get too full to fuck. Um, and maybe whether you agree with Kazi's assertion that there are spatial constraints as it pertains to food and fucking. Okay, thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. Bye. Have a good time. Party rockers in the house tonight. Everybody just have a good time. And we gonna make you lose your mind. We just wanna see you. Shake that.